You're listening to Stage Combat, a mental health story of what really happened behind the scenes at the Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut, during its 2019 production of Billy Elliot, the musical. Stage Combat is a true story of the narrator's personal experience during his mental health journey from 2019 to 2023. This podcast contains actor portrayals of actual events. The names of the members of the cast of Billy Elliot have been changed. Stage Combat contains strong language and addresses mental illness. Check the show notes for more details. Haywood Productions LLC offered Goodspeed Musicals, Inc. and the Goodspeed Opera House Foundation, Inc. the opportunity to include a statement in each episode of Stage Combat, including an option to deny the events as depicted. They declined. Haywood Productions also offered Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director the opportunity to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. They both declined. It's November 2021, two years after the final curtain of Billy Elliot, and Donna Lynn Hilton is giving an interview on a finance podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Finance Podcast. Our guest today is Donna Lynn Hilton of Goodspeed Musicals. Welcome, Donna Lynn. Happy to be here. You know, one of the challenges of both finance and theater share is that all the assets go home at night. It's all about human capital. So how do you manage creative people? Um, uh, authenticity is my key. And so I like to listen to people, to make people feel heard, recognized, engaged, to give people voice. In our business, it's really important that people have a safe environment in which to do their work. Now that is of course important in any business, but the people that I support in their work have to be able to make themselves vulnerable in order for their work to succeed. And so creating and authentic, warm, genuine environment where people feel safe to risk themselves is key to what we do in my business and something that I hope I bring every day. I was listening to you and it sounded like just excellent management advice anywhere. So what is the management book from Donna Lynn at Goodspeed coming out? You're listening to Season 2, Episode 4 of Stage Combat. Rebuttal is irrelevant. Two years earlier. And we're back at the good speed. It's Saturday morning, October 12th, 2019. The morning after I sent my whistleblowing complaint to Donalyn Hilton and Rachel Tischler, reporting that Goodspeed's resident stage manager, Bradley G. Spockman, threatened to fire me last night for raising a safety complaint that involved myself and a child actor. But Goodspeed did not respond to my complaint. Instead, at 8.50 a.m., 
Rachel Tischler emails my agent. The events of last night's performance have led Goodspeed to decide that it's time to release Sean from Billy Elliot. An hour later, I get a call from my agent. He tells me I'm about to be fired. And he tells me that Chad claims that I threatened to murder him. Another one of Chad's brazen lies. And his most serious... Threatening to kill someone is a crime in the state of Connecticut, punishable by prison. When my agent tells me about the death threat allegation, I scream, oh my God, three times. I'm in a state of shock. Even though I warned the good speed that Chad's claims would escalate, I'm still in a state of shock. My instructions are to wait for a call, because I am to be fired over the phone by someone I've never met in person, Rachel Tischler. A wave of darkness envelops me. My gut feels like it is full of lead. The corners of my mouth feel like they're being pulled down by magnets. I call my husband. Are you fucking kidding me? They fired you. I start grabbing things and throwing them into suitcases. I begin packing up the mini law office that I brought with me to continue to do my legal work at a good speed. As I'm packing, I suddenly have a moment of lucidity. Where the hell is Gabriel Barry in all of this? Because he knows me. We've worked together before. He's been showering me with praise. Last week, he told me that he loved me, for God's sake. And yet he hasn't asked me once if I'm okay. I stop packing, and I text him. Hi, Gabe. So, as I predicted would happen, Chad has continued to fabricate claims against me, and the theater is letting me go. I don't know why this is happening, as I have done everything by the book And Donalyn has admitted to me they know Chad is making things up. I am devastated. Barry responds. Me too. And I hold you both responsible. I'm stunned. I reply back. I don't believe you know the whole story, but so be it. The theater should have sat down with Chad early on and told him to knock it off. And now, here we are. Gabriel Barry does not reply back. And I never hear from him again. I finish packing and start pacing around inside my housing. I see the garbage is overflowing, and I decide to take it out. Walking to the dumpster, I realize I'm not sure why I'm taking the garbage out. As I approach the dumpster, I call Nicole. She's been holding my hand during the curtain calls ever since my collapse. I tell her I'm being fired. What? What the fuck? Wait, wait. I just got a text from Spockman. She reads it to me. Sean Hayden is being... It's a group text telling the cast that I'm leaving the show. As I'm standing there, smelling rancid garbage from this dumpster, I think... Management hasn't even called me to fire me yet, and they're already telling the cast. Because to the good speed, I am completely 
disposable. I start getting texts from other cast members. Cody, one of the boys who plays Billy. I'm going to miss you so much. I hope your back feels better. The other boy who plays Billy, Ryan. So, hey, uh, I just wanted to say how much I'm going to miss you and how you've been the best dad ever. And I realize I'm, I'm not even being given a chance to say goodbye to the boys. Katie texts me. Sean, I don't know what's happening, but I hope you made the decision that will be best for your mental health. I'm so sorry it's going down like this. Sending love. When I get back to my housing, I have a text from Nicole. This is ridiculous. A couple of us are going to talk to HR because... And another cast member, Emma. ...how upset and pissed I am over the situation, and many people are. And I am so sorry. I'm sitting on my sofa, just waiting, waiting for Rachel Tischler to fire me over the phone. At this moment, there's nothing left for me to fight for. But I want Goodspeed to tell me why I'm being fired. Because I know there's no legitimate reason. And I know Goodspeed is breaching my contract. This is Rachel. And Donna Lynn is here too. We've come to the decision to release you from the rest of the run of Billy Elliot, and company management is standing by to make travel arrangements. Why am I being released? Because I haven't received any sort of written disciplinary warning for anything? I've never been written up? Nope. No, you haven't. There's been multiple conversations had and numerous notes given about problems with the performance relationship of Tony and Dad. I think to myself, but that's not true. And there would be a paper trail if that were the case. Rachel has to know that's not true. What she is saying is a smokescreen for something else. And at this point, given what's happened in the last 24 hours... I had a safety issue. Not Chad. I had a safety issue. Be that as it may, Sean, Goodspeed has decided to release you. I'm trying to get it pinpointed as to what have I done. We were told on the first day of rehearsals that we are supposed to bring forward safety issues. Yet, every time I did, Chad fabricated a claim about me. I guess the takeaway was I was not supposed to address a safety issue. Neither Donna Lynn nor Rachel contradict that statement. I understand I allegedly issued a death threat. Is that what I am to understand? I can't substantiate any of that, honestly, and it's not the time for rebuttal now. If someone levels a charge like that against an actor or any person, it is a very serious charge. I mean, I'm an attorney. I know the weight of this. And if that is being levied without due process, that's a problem. I tell them the death threat did not happen. Rachel does a pivot. She says she's going to send my agent some notes over the weekend. Why can't she just tell me? Okay, so my takeaway from this call is I'm being dismissed, but I'm not being told the specific reasons why I'm being dismissed. Donna Lynn Hilton jumps in. Sean, 
There were multiple opportunities for the performance concerns to be addressed, for the note to maintain eye contact to be taken, and it has not been done. And now I think I know what is happening. It seems like when these two spoke before the call, they said, we'll just pin this on Chad's ridiculous eye contact complaint. But Donna Lynn has to know that what she is saying is not true. If it were, there would be a paper trail backing it up. There isn't. In my fragile mental state, are Donna Lynn and Rachel trying to distort my perception of the reality of what I know has happened. So something that I heard about less than 24 hours ago, something's not adding up. That doesn't make sense as a reason for my dismissal. Sean, for the moment, we're not going to go into the reason we're giving you notice. And if there's more to come, we'll be in touch with your agent. I just want to say for the record that what I predicted would happen has happened. And I discreetly tried to let you know that we had a problem with this young actor that the stage combat would become an issue, and it did. That he would fabricate allegations, and he did. At the end of the day, what I put you guys on notice about happened, and you did not do anything to try to prevent that from happening. You're entitled to your opinion, Sean, but rebuttal at this point is irrelevant. End of call. Within five minutes, Amanda, the company manager, contacts me. She's been instructed to make sure I leave immediately. My dressing room has been cleared out. She hands me two cloth bags stuffed with all my personal belongings. My underwear, my stage makeup, my toiletry items, my opening night cards and notes from my husband mother-in-law, and cast members. It's degrading. As I pack up the last of my belongings into my car, I'm mortified, wondering if the other cast members of Billy Elliot and the surrounding housing units are watching. The company manager comes out with a coffee machine I've left in my housing and says, Here, you forgot this. I'm out of boxes, so I just awkwardly take it and set it on the floorboard of my car. I start my car and pull out of the perfect storm that is the good speed. I drive around the bend of Main Street as that opera house spits me out with a roar, sending me across the swing bridge over the Connecticut River, past the dollar store, past the Dunkin' Donuts, out of East Haddam. I call my husband from the car. I'm on the road. I'm out. I'm out of there. All right. Just get home safe. I love you. I love you too. I have to pull my car over twice because I'm shaking so hard 
thinking about what just happened, everything that has happened. I understand I allegedly issued a death threat. I is that what I am to understand? Any of that, honestly, and it's I just not want to say for the record now. that what I predicted would happen. You're entitled to your opinion, Sean, but rebuttal at this point is irrelevant. As I drove down Connecticut highways and onto Interstate 95 to make my way back to New York, my head was swimming. My eyes were in tears. My heart was broken. I like to listen to people, to make people feel heard, recognized. And my faith in people just following common sense and doing the right thing was shattered. And so creating an authentic, warm, genuine environment where people feel safe to risk themselves is key to what we do in my business and something that I hope I bring every day. (laughs) Two and a half hours later, I pull up to our apartment in Hell's Kitchen. Ian meets me outside our building and we begin to unload the car quietly, box by box, my office equipment, suitcases, a lot of things just thrown into the car, the coffee machine sitting on the floorboard. When I walk into our apartment, my husband hugs me, my quiet, stoic husband, my rock. But then he does something he rarely does. He begins to cry and says, You work so hard. What is wrong with those people? It's not right. It's not right. Ian tells me to get into bed. I say, wait, I need to do something. I walk down the hall carrying my notebook with my Billy Elliot script. All my miners research, my emails with Gabriel Berry, my stupid note that says, remember you don't have a fake bone in your body. I open up the garbage chute and throw it all away. I crawl into bed holding my phone and I see on Instagram that my understudy, Larry, the guy in whose arms I sobbed after my collapse, has already posted a picture of himself in dad's costume in front of what was my dressing room mirror. So, a change of plans today here at Billy Elliot. Today, I'll be making my dad debut. Here we go. Hashtag solidarity. I toss my phone to the floor. Later that night, following the evening performance, Bradley G. Spockman is busy on his laptop, putting the finishing touches on an email. An email addressed to the members of the creative team of Billy Elliot, many of whom work on Broadway. The subject line. Billy Elliot, cast change. Sean Hayden has been released from his contract with us. That means I've been fired. He tells them, There were safety concerns that were going to make the remainder of the run untenable without a major change. That seems to mean I was a safety threat, that I was a danger. Bradley G. Spockman checks the list of the 17 recipients about to receive his email. Caprio, to Mary Redlinger, to at 11.33 p.m., 
the resident stage manager of the Goodspeed for the past 25 years. David Enzuelo. The author of the Sean is Difficult memo. Jason Katrowitz. The author of the show report, Admitting My Collapse. Jennifer Scapettis. The subject of my whistleblowing complaint just 24 hours earlier. Mark Kimmelman. Walt Spangler. Bradley G. Spockman. Hits. Send. Haywood Productions offered the Goodspeed the opportunity to include a statement within this episode. The Goodspeed declined. Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director declined an invitation to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. Coming up on the next episode of Stage Combat, a mental health story. The statement is from Donna Lynn Hilton. What is this? What am I reading? My heart starts racing. My stomach feels sick. I'm short of breath. Because what I'm reading does not bear any resemblance to the hell I experienced at the good speed. Stay tuned for a post-show talkback with Sean and his guest, psychologist, Dr. Michelle Sherman. Because seeing someone you love hurting can bring up a lot of feelings. It can be confusion. What, what's going on? It can be deeply sad. Um, and it can feel powerless. Of What do I do? How do I help them? That's coming up now. Hello, listeners. This is Sean Hayden for our post-show talkback. For Season 2, Episode 4, we've just heard Rebuttal is Irrelevant. And I just wanted to have a quick check-in with a familiar face. Dr. Michelle Sherman is with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sean. I'm happy to be here. Dr. Sherman, in this episode, our listeners have heard that after I return home, after being fired by the good speed, just how the trauma that I have experienced is affecting my husband. So I want to speak with you about the ripple effect that occurs when a person suffers a mental health crisis. I appreciate that, Sean. I actually dedicated my career to this, so I have a lot of passion about it because I think that it is truly an experience that affects not only the person but all those who care about them. Because seeing someone you love hurting can bring up a lot of feelings. It can be confusion. What, what's going on? can be deeply sad, um, and it can feel powerless of what do I do? How do I help them? What, what is going on? Some people struggle with guilt, like, did I do something wrong? Did I uh, upset them? And sadly, there continues to be some stigmas around this of what are other people going to think? What might be the implications for my partner's job, well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so it really is a a relational sort of thing that impacts the children, impacts the entire system, I believe. You and I have talked about that a person who is experiencing a mental health crisis needs support, but I wonder how many of us ever really think about the fact that what that person is going through, it, it's going to affect children, a spouse, friends. 
it affects a community, doesn't it? Absolutely. It totally affects everyone. And, and they need support too, just as if uh, your partner had a medical crisis. They were in the hospital for cancer or, or who knows what. Usually community rallies around. But sometimes if a loved one is hospitalized for you know, their mental health being unstable or suicidality, things like that, oftentimes people don't bring casseroles. They don't say anything, or perhaps if they do say things, it can be hurtful. And that can lead to even greater sense of isolation and loneliness. So I think absolutely being aware of, wow, this is impacting not only, in this case, Sean, but Sean's family and partner. You know, I think about helping someone living with depression or anxiety, I'm always talking about who's in their team, you know, who are their relationships that can help them. Yeah. You know, all through this, I, I thought so much with all the things that were being piled on me. What if I did not have a husband at home? And I thought so much about people who did not have that support. And that's why it's so vital that we're responsive to people in crisis. You know, something you said to me makes me also think about, too, the need for self-care for those around the person in crisis and how it affects them as well. Absolutely. Because it's important to get so tied up in supporting your loved one that you kind of like forget take care of yourself in terms of regular stuff like exercise and sleep and healthy choices and food that it's absolutely. And sometimes your own therapy. You know, I certainly see a lot of people who have a loved one dealing with a mental illness crisis or mental illness, and it can be a hard, a lonely journey. There's a wonderful nationwide free organization called NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, that has a free support groups for people both living with mental illness and who love some of them with mental illness. And so the whole existence of that, I think, attests to this point that it, it can be a hard road. And so having other people to talk to, other people who really understand your experience can be powerful. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point to anyone who's listening that they're not the one in crisis, but have someone close to them. And so many people kind of feel powerless. And it seems like to me, a therapist could help a person sort of guide them through those emotions and to offer them support on how to support their loved one, right? But also support themselves. Absolutely. It's both to empower them of what they can do. And then also it's an experience of that powerlessness of sometimes there's only so much you can do. I mean, think about for many people who have a mental illness, they don't think they have a problem. They don't want to get help. There are so many barriers to seeking help that it's like, wow, what do you do with that? And that's super right. hard too. Right. Uh, imagine some of the listeners may be relating to that, that they are in denial or don't understand or don't believe that that's really difficult. Um, so there are many ways in which the loved ones could benefit from mental health professional support themselves. I never thought of it from that standpoint, but my goodness, that person really does need support when your your partner, whomever is not willing to how do we say this? They're not willing to get help for themselves or they're in denial, correct? Yes. It, there could be a lot of ways of thinking of this. Actually, for some illnesses, part of the definition of illness is lack of insight. <laughs> so it's not that they're like being stubborn or in denial. It's like truly they don't know. That can be part of the nature of the illness, frankly. Lack of insight of what they're going through. Yes. Mm. That I have a problem. Yes, that I have an illness. It's like, oh no, it's other people or it's not me. It's your problem, not mine. That can be a part of the nature of the illness, actually. So, and again, that's super hard for other people to understand. But I fully agree that your, your thesis of the impact of all of this and others and the ripple effects can be significant. And they can also be a huge ally and source of strength, because it sounds like your husband has been. And I agree, you're really fortunate to have that. That can make the journey a little bit less lonely, a little bit easier to walk. 
I'm very fortunate to have him in my life, and he's a really important person in the story. And so the listeners in this season, they will hear about the journey that he is sharing with me because a mental health crisis does affect the person that you love the most. And as a team, you can walk through this together, just as you can support him, not necessarily with mental health concerns, but other other things and other issues. That's part of what relationships can do. I think that is the takeaway from this conversation, that if someone around you is in crisis, don't be afraid to take care of yourself. Absolutely. And if you need the extra motivation for the time, the money, the energy, realize it's certainly about you, but it'll also help you be a better supporter of your loved one. I love that so much. You can't really take care of them unless you take care of yourself. As we talk about, you know, the mask on the airplanes, you talk about all these sorts of things. You got to fill up your own cup to be able to be present to them too. Thank you, Dr. Michelle Sherman, for being part of this conversation. And we have really enjoyed your contributions to Stage Combat, a mental health story. Oh, Sean, it's been a delight. Thank you so very much. Dr. Michelle Sherman earned her PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Missouri, Columbia. She is a fellow of the American Psychological Association and is board certified in couple and family psychology. She was recently named the Family Psychologist of the Year by the Society of Couple and Family Psychology of the American Psychological Association. She's published over 75 articles in peer-reviewed journals, and she's currently in private practice as a psychologist in Minneapolis. Remember, this podcast should not be considered a substitute for medical advice. So if you are experiencing any medical or mental health issues, please seek the advice of a medical or mental health professional. Hello, Stage Combat listeners. Sean Hayden here. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Be sure to join us for episode five. It's called Subway. And the story is going to move on to life beyond the Opera House. But trust me, the Goodspeed will continue to be very much a part of the story throughout the season. In our post-show talkback, mental health counselor Imari Hardin will talk about when is it a good time to consider therapy. Stage Combat, a mental health story, is a production of Haywood Productions, LLC. Our consulting producer is Ian Southwood of Southwood Productions, LLC. This episode was recorded and edited by the magnificent Andrew Lynn, and it was directed and read by me, Sean Hayden. Please follow us on Facebook, TikTok at Stage Combat The Podcast, and on Instagram at Stage Combat The Podcast IG. Please rate us, review us, and follow us at your podcast platform. And did you know you can also listen to episodes online at stagecombatthepodcast.com. And you can also sign up for the Stage Combat newsletter. We would love to hear from you. Your comments, questions, maybe you'd like to share your own experience. Email us at stagecombatthepodcast at gmail.com. I hope today and every day brings you an opportunity to claim your story. I'll meet you over at episode five. If you or someone you know is in crisis or contemplating self-harm, you can reach out to the Suicide in Crisis Lifeline by simply dialing or texting 988. That's 988.
Mental health assistance is also available through the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. You can call the helpline at 1-800-950-6264 or text HELPLINE to 62640. That's one 800 950-6264 or by text to 62640.